Welcome to On the Mic with Josie. My next guest was born in Argentina, came to the United States in 1980, served in the Marine Corps Reserve for five years, uh, worked in a family clo- children's clothing business uh, growing up, and now he's uh, a research and development specialist in the food and nut industry. Uh, he's also a consultant in the commercial mass production of products, uh, my workout buddy at TNT Fitness Bootcamp, uh, and my friend, Hernan De Simone. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Joe. So in, in, in Spanish, it's Hernan Dario De Simone. Hernan Dario. That's my eh, middle name, Dario. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, one of the things that I do want to get curious about because it's still something that I'm getting used to. What was it like when I invited you to be on this podcast? You know, I was curious about it. I'd never been on one. So when I was invited, I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous, excited, and at the same time, appreciated because I, you know, you, there's something I know that you want to learn from me. Mm. So I love that. Uh, Overall, the, the, the feeling is, is excitement and, um, willingness to participate. Thank you for your willingness to participate. Because for me, this is a practice, right? Like even just to ask somebody, like, "Hey, would you like to be on my podcast?" Like, take something, and then to get curious as to, as to why I'm inviting that guest. Because that question always comes right afterwards. Like, "Oh yeah, like I'm down." But like, what would we, what would we talk about? And so it's answering that question of like, what I'm curious to know about this other human being. And so thank you for the opportunity of being here and giving me the practice that I need. Because ultimately, one of my biggest intentions for doing this podcast is for my journey and growth in communication and getting curious with others, being able to listen to others, uh, being able to like say what's there for me when something comes up with others, vulnerability and all kinds of stuff that comes along with being able to be on a podcast in front of somebody asking questions, knowing that you're live and that you're in front of cameras and that this is going to be seen by who knows who. That's definitely something that's a practice for me. And so giving me this opportunity to have you here is amazing, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You know, I heard something recently. We were talking about this because a lot of back and forth conversations, there'll be some interruptions, interjections, things like that, mm. right? And one of the things that someone told me is like, focus on being interested, not interesting. Because yeah. all of us want to talk about our experience yes. when we hear something. But if you focus on being interested in what somebody is saying, it'll help you be patient with your interjection or your comment that you have mm-hmm. about that thing, right? And so be interested, not interesting. That's awesome, man. <laughs> that's super awesome. One thing that I heard in what you said that's very common is most of the time I believe we're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so that we can say <laughs> what it is that we want to say, right? I was listening to a podcast the other day and one of the things that I, I never heard meditation articulated in this way, but the person said that uh, meditation, even though it is mindfulness and it is for, for oneself, this person sees meditation as being for others. That when you meditate, you know, whether it's the breath, whether it's a sound, whether it's whatever, you're practicing to focus on one thing. Right. And, and it's not about always being focused on that one thing. It's about noticing when your focus goes off of it and practicing how fast you can bring yourself back to that thing that you're that you're focusing on 
And when he said that it's for others, what he, the way he articulated was when you're speaking to somebody and somebody's speaking to you, the meditation practice helps you listen to where, when the person is speaking and your mind starts going off to something else, or your mind is just waiting for them to be quiet. So you can say something, you can let that go, put that aside and come back to the one thing, which is the human being that's in front of you sharing what, what is there for them that they want to share. And I was like, wow, like I never thought to think of meditation being a practice of how to listen, like listen to the person speaking, not what you're saying to yourself about what the person is saying to you. Yeah. When you get to this stage in life, I'm, I'll be 49 this April. I have 22 years under my belt in this work experience. I was in the United States Marine Corps. I came from a different country. I grew up in Southern California. I traveled to 22 states, five different countries, 100 di major cities. So I have a lot to say. So <laughs> it's hard to hold that back. So yeah. like what you're saying through meditation is, you know, uh, there's always going to be a chance to say what you want to say. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a chance to say what you want to say. So keep that in mind. And that's one of my things is that uh, there's always going to be an opportunity. Mm -hmm. The opportunity is not lost. And at the end of it all, if you didn't get a chance to say what you want to say and because you forgot, carry around a notepad. Mm. Carry around a notepad because it's easy to put that side on that, that, that thought on paper so that you can continue to pay attention, you know, so that you don't have to continue to try to remember what it is you want to say. Yeah. Well, I'm glad this conversation is already fucking awesome the way it is <laughs> just organically like this. Right. And I have so many questions about the food industry and I, I get that you're uh, part of like um, commercializing and mass producing uh, yes. products, right? Yes. And, and you, it's specifically in the trail mix and the nuts industry that you're, that you're in specifically and that you've been in for 22 years now, Correct. right? Yeah. Another thing that I'm really curious about is your parents and getting here from Argentina in 1980, I believe you were five years old when you guys arrived here. And what you shared with me was that your family had a family business and that it was uh, making children's, manufacturing children's clothing. Yeah. How did that whole situation good. Those work are out? Really good questions, Joe. Uh, so I kind of, you touched a little bit about it in the intro. So I was born in Argentina in 1975 uh, to young parents. My mom was only 16 and my dad was like 18 when we were born. Uh, me and my sister, I have a younger sister, two years younger than me. They, when Argentina at the time was not in its best financial situation, so my parents had family uh, friends who had come to the United States and had success. So they're like, they saved up every penny they could, got us uh, a vacation visa to come to the United States. We came um, at that time, that was the way to get here legally. We got our, uh, became resident aliens at that time when that happened my parents had been working uh odd jobs but then finally had gotten a, a good couple of good jobs at a clothing manufacturer in downtown los angeles where they learned the trade of textile cutting sewing pattern making all of that that drove led into my my family business which uh, was started as women's clothing um uh, and my parents would sell them at swap meets beach fairs, um, kiosks to little stores around the beach and stuff like that. And then that developed from, you know, I think it was like our first big year. We did 50,000 in sales and everybody was really happy. But that grew all the way up 
I think the most we sold in that business uh, with when we were all doing it was about four million a year in for revenue. small revenue for wow. a small business. And you know, we had our our cost of goods was only about twenty percent. Okay. So the rest was overhead, yeah, yeah, travel, yeah. things that you need. Yeah. So so we had built a good profit margin to be able to make the business successful. Honestly, I started working in the family business as soon as I could work. But in the family business, I would pick up odd jobs working for other people. I literally was 12 years old making um, $1,000 a month at 12 years old, working Saturdays and Sundays mm. at the Saugus Speedway swap meet in uh, Valencia, Saugus, Valencia area. It was really fun. I built strollers and bikes, $5 each, and I would build 20 to 25 a day. So, you know, and I was in some, in some days I, I'd get to build like 40 from a young age, 12 and up. I, I participated in the home finances. I helped, you know, there was no choice but to, to, to participate. The transition um, from Spanish to English was hard for me. And then in the midst of all of this, we had to go back to Argentina and spend a year there. Hmm. Because I don't remember all the term, all the legal things that happened, but it was something we had to do to be able to become American citizens. So we went back, and during that time, I went to school in Argentina again. So it shook me up a little bit in my ability to learn English and the American school system versus Argentinian school system. As approaching my senior year, my dad asked me, "Hey, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to work in a, just work in our family business? What do you want to do?" And at that moment, I wasn't sure, so I joined the Marines. Mm. And that was a, a a huge turning point in my life. It was a great segue for entering the, the workforce here in the U.S. After the Marines, after boot camp and training, everything was about two and a half years. Came back home and worked in the family business for a little bit longer. Um, I met my wife in 1999 doing my family business in Minnesota setting up stores there wow and uh, then uh, after September 11th we I changed and that's when I changed my career got and that's when you change your career after September 11th yeah and so before changing your 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 career and and working with your parents the perspective of this dynamic that I'm always curious about is the challenges people face being in a family business I think the hardest part honestly, was you're comfortable elevating the argument. Mm. Where in a professional environment, that's not almost not accepted, right? Where So you would, at, if you would walk into the shop on the wrong day, ha we'd be having a drawn-out argument about who's going to go where or who's going to do what. I think that we worked out a lot of those differences. As I matured myself, too, and, and understood the way Americans did business, I started to participate that way with my folks more and more. And I started leveling up the business. I would say the hardest part of working in a family business is dealing with each other. I don't know if I'm um, articulating it correctly, but what I heard you say was almost like the absence of professional boundaries. Absolutely. If we could have set some, if, you know, in hindsight, yeah. if we would have some set agreements. those boundaries and those agreements in the beginning, would have had less arguments, uh, a little bit more progress on some days where, where we just spent the day arguing about that my way is better than your way or your way is better than my way, you know. So, but in a family business, you kind of roll with the punches a little bit and it's, you survive. Mm. Um, there, I remember there was a time we were, I was out of the house, my sister was out of the house and we were all doing 
um, the family business and then uh, it started to falter. So to reduce our expenses, we all went back home for like a year. And, you know, I, my, my demand on the company was huge. I had my own place. I had this. I had cars, everything. So I had to figure out how to do it so I wouldn't need so much. We went through the highs and lows together, and we came mm. out on top together. It wasn't where, you know, a lot of businesses, one person gets everything and everybody else gets nothing. It wasn't like that. Being that it was a family business, what would you say something you learned from that? Like something that now, being outside of a family business, doing things on your own, being in a professional environment and, and system yeah. and all that, working for a company, uh, consulting, things like that. What would you say you, you learned that benefits you now because you worked in the family business you worked in? When we would have arguments, my mom would get incredibly emotional. I mean, emotional, emotional tears. She couldn't, she wouldn't want to talk with us anymore. And it was because of something I said, and I said, it, it was something important that needed to be said, but I said it wrong. I said it with con with uh, aggression with bad intention right so i learned like my dad would pull me aside and say listen you can't say it like that you have to be a little softer to your mom you know you need to talk to her about it like this like that so i practiced that with her and what that led into into my professional career was i wasn't afraid to bring up the top the tough subjects right mm. so i learned to bring up very tough tough subjects Without emotion, just I wanted to put it on the table for discussion. And if you've ever been in a room where something is really needs to be discussed, maybe someone made a terrible mistake and they caused a huge loss, right? But it has to be talked about because we all have to learn from that. I always found myself being the one to kind of start that conversation, mm. right? And if and I would say something like, "Listen." What happened isn't anybody's fault, okay? We, w we work together here as a company, but we need to identify this problem so that we don't do it again, mm. all right? And so then it would open up discussions. Someone would come out and say, you know, I, was, I wasn't paying attention when the screen, when the temperature got up to 3.30, I didn't see it, and then I lowered the temperature and it ended up ruining the product. Awesome. Thank you for sharing and telling us what happened. Now we got the truth out right wow. and so i would look at the opportunity in us in the company of how to prevent this from happening again so i always used the, everything that everybody did as an opportunity don't get me wrong if someone make the mistake several times in a row they would be fired but i learned a long time a long time ago that you have to let people make mistakes mm -hmm. can't fire somebody after the first mistake after that third, fourth time, they're going to learn. Mm -hmm. And now you've got someone with the knowledge, the experience. They've got the mistakes under their belt. They've made that mistake before. They know how not to do it again. So I, I always give people a lot of opportunity because not there's always, there's always moments of failures for everybody. And you can't just drop the hammer on somebody on the first mistake. What I get from that is, guys, there's no story here. What happened, happened. Right? In this case, it's like, guys, there's no bad thing. Just tell us so yep. we know, and then we know how to move forward, and then we, we improve you have from there. To, I, I, used to, I call it defusing the situation yeah. because a lot of people will hold back. They don't want to say. Well, because they don't, don't want to say. They don't well, want to get in trouble. And, and uh, They're scared for their jobs or whatever it is. That, I, but that comes from leadership. Exactly. That, so if you, prov if you create the environment where people are constantly covering their butt, you're in the wrong place. You're mm -hmm. going to have the same mistake happen over and over and over and over and over. I try to... Always make 
a good environment for communication in a workspace. I challenge people by by questioning their information, but never negatively, just mm-hmm. more like, where did that come from? Curiosity, um, not blame. Is what yeah, I exactly. And curiosity, I, not and blame. And when people start to tell stories I, 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 or tell things, I try to tell them to use the language of report. And this is where... You, you, you have to, like, if you're going to tell someone something, it has to have all of the details in place. Names, locations, numbers. You can't say she, they, at this place, at this location. You have to be specific. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is important when you have meetings because it, it doesn't leave room for misinterpretation. Yeah, everything is clear. Yeah, it's clear. You have to be clear because we're taking marching orders from there. And if you... If you think it's supposed to be 330 or you know it's supposed to be 330, it's a big difference. So, um, you know, I think that that's one of the things I was able to take from working in the family business is learning a lot of patience. And trust, right? Like, that's really ultimately what I'm hearing. Like, yeah, you guys used to come at each other and say things and your mom was emotional and everything. But you guys were only doing that because you trusted each other that you wouldn't just leave or neglect their feelings or whatever like that you guys would work it out good point that you guys would work it out and with your with the way you're articulating leadership everything i hear in what you're saying is trust trust that they know that they can tell you they messed up right and that there's not going to be repercussions again if it happens over and over and over at some point you got you got to think about what's effective for the overall team really not just the company but the team Right, because sometimes these choices might be affecting the the yeah. workflow of of the other people yeah. in your team. There's a saying, and then it trickles down. You're only as strong as your weakest mm-hmm. link. Yeah. So if you have a team member who's not participating, you help strengthen them. If they don't strengthen after several attempts, you replace them. Yeah, yeah, of course, and not like a like a robot, right? Like like, but you definitely give them a shot. You give them, if you feel in your deepest parts of your heart that you gave somebody a fair opportunity. That's all you can ask for. And, and you'll know. And your heart will tell you. You know, if you act, if you act heartless without emotion when you're terminating somebody, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it right. You're all you're doing is with intention to hurt somebody. Yeah, right? and that's not that should never be what happens at a termination or when you let somebody go. It shouldn't ever be to hurt somebody. It should help them grow. And so. I look at it like that too. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And this segues perfectly into the next conversation I want to have. Speaking about leadership, you've been in the industry of uh, mass producing uh, trail mix and nuts for 22 years, right? After the family business, Marine Corps and everything, what age, uh, what was your age when you got into this industry and what were the opportunities you seen when you first got into it? So I joined... New Century Snacks, December 2001, 29, 29 years old. I started as a forklift driver in the logistics department, so basically loading trucks. Um, But I was the only person in the entire warehouse. So there was a person (laughs) in the office, the ladies in the roasting room, the roasting operator, the manager, and then me in the warehouse. And And this was a startup company. They were... Uh, from the ground up, and um, and you started with them, like with the, them, the, at the, the, the first year, mm-hmm. the first year they they started. First year we we're in the negative. Second year we did okay, and I think by third year we were already up selling three million dollars. By the time I left in two thousand and fifteen, the company sold for three hundred and fifty million. Wow! 
So it was a huge company. That is what gave me the opportunity to learn every department, every single one from the ground up, starting from the ground on the floor all the way through manufacturing, through management, through the office doors, all the way into the top. And that provided me organic, true, learned knowledge of the industry. From And when I say the industry, I'm talking about nut roasting, trail mix, and packaging. Got it. All of those parts together. The company I worked at first just did roasting. And we would roast nuts and put them in 25-pound boxes, put them on pallets, and ship them to whoever wanted them, whoever it was, Safeway, large distributions, companies like that. Then um, over time, we started not only roasting bulk, we started doing packaged goods, uh, bags, three ounce, six ounce, nine ounce, 12 ounce, 14 ounce, different packaged bags. This is the packaging side. So we started growing and we started with one roaster, one packaging machine, two roasters, four packaging machines, three roasters, 10 packaging machines. And we started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we started targeting all of the different sectors in the trail mix and nut industry. And this is, when I say that is, I'm talking about national brands, uh, controlled brands, private label, and of course, bulk. And this is, that covers the entire gambit of nuts and seeds, trail mixes, that kind of stuff for if you're gonna do, if you're gonna take a concept from zero to finish good, you have to have all of this knowledge. Mm. If not, you're going to be dependent on other people to provide you this. So, and, and I know that I've shared a, a little bit with you about it, but it's, you know, a concept is um, I have an idea. I want to make a strawberry flavored, st- white chocolate, strawberry flavored covered almond. <laughs> right. And you're like, I know I have sales already lined up for it. Walmart says they'll buy it. But you don't know how to mass manufacture it. This is where you approach someone like myself. You'd be like, hey, Hernan, I, I, I created this amazing almond. It tastes delicious. Can you reverse engineer it for me? Find all of the suppliers to provide all of these things that I need to make this strawberry yogurt-coated almond for mass manufacturing. When I say mass manufacturing, a million pounds a year, that's like small. Right. So, (laughs) so a million pounds a year. And then what I would do is I would then take, go to the lab with the almond. I would melt it. I would look at the ingredient statement that it came from, or I would ask them to provide me how they made it. Then I take those, the base baseline, and then I engineer it so that you can produce it on these big pieces of equipment because you can't make it like you make it in your kitchen. It's not the same thing. It, you're, you're talking a pan and an oven compared to a giant roasting facility mm-hmm. with chambers and processing and uh, bucket elevators and tumblers and all these things. And all of it has to be done automatically in this long line. This, this is critical to be able to launch your product. And then so I can help you create it so that it can be mass manufactured into bulk. And then I can take it from your bulk, create, design, a package for retail with the box and everything you need to get it to the store. Is this more of like the consulting that you do now or were you actually like doing exactly all uh, this for the company you were working I for? I did. So as a consultant, I do all of it. Okay. When I work for companies, I did pieces. Pieces of it. Pieces of okay, it. Okay, just right? pieces of it. And a company like a nut company, you'll have 
at the top, you'll have like the owners, the president, the VP, chief operations officer, CEO, and you have all the, you know, everyone like myself. When I left as a consultant, I was chief, chief operations officer. That was my mm. title. Um, then I became a consultant because when you're a consultant, you can tie yourself into somebody's idea. Yeah. So um, right now I'm, I'm working on a project for a really large, I can't disclose it because it's, it's going to launch this summer, but once it launches, you're going to be surprised. Um, a large retailer who really created this amazing product and they had me engineer it to mass manufacturing. It took nine months for one product to get engineered or designed, created, and figured out how to produce. Nine, actually it's going to be like over a year now for sure. <laughs> to create the wow. the the one product, um, and that product, I tied myself in to the back end sales. So, I got paid for my time in the research and development. But if it's successful, if it's a successful item, I get residual percentage income from that. So it's only one point five percent, but it's a lot, right? Think about one point five percent of five million in sales, mm -hmm. right? Over like a four year period of time. Yeah. And so I've been tying myself in. Time after time, product after product, either on the front end where I'm like, pay me $10,000 up front and I'll create this for you, or give me, pay me $100 an hour while we create it and then tie me in at 1.5% at the end, right? So, and if I have faith, in the, and I'll, t I'll be straight up, if you come to me with a product that I know won't sell in the market, I'll tell you, this won't sell. Let's not spend a dime mm. of your money doing something that's just not going to have what would a product need to have in order for them to come to you and you say this is not going to work out well like, i'll give or you what's one, one example. example yeah i'll give you an example okay so when someone comes so i do a lot of market research when i'm for the nuts industry i it, it, this is very it sounds uh, like a big it's not it's all you do is go to the stores every single store walmart walgreens stater brothers vons savons um cvs um and then there are other uh, Amazon and then there ever other every states have their own grocery stores or types of things. So you go in there and you do your market research. What I do is I look at what's selling. Right. And usually you'll have like you can tell, you know, almonds, peanuts, cashews are in the top 10 always. And so, you know, things. But then there are some things that enter the market that have some traction. This is where I come in and I'll be like, look, I've run and did a bunch of research out there seasoned flavored walnuts don't sell strawberry flavored cherry with almonds and cashews selling a lot so what are we going to work on right we're going to work on something that doesn't sell or you want to work on something that sells so the market research brings in the data needed to provide the customer with information whether the, you know they're, they have some traction or not and you know usually this is done in the very beginning when someone comes to me with an idea i'll just tell them listen and with my 22 years of experience i can tell you right now that there isn't a sector in the market for this product you have to it, it, as much you can't fall in love with your idea to the point where you run yourself into the ground because people do that they fall in love with their idea I, it's so delicious it's the best thing in the world but it doesn't sell nobody knows what it is no no one ever experienced it so if you're coming to the market with something so new that nobody does it you're going to have to have the marketing funds and you're going to have to give away a lot of product for a long time to gain traction if not you have to do what everybody else does hmm wow 
because wow. you write the well coattails. Put. You have to write the coattails of everybody else. If not, you're going to spend the money doing it. You're going to spend the money marketing it. Just, you know, like, I, I'll give you an example. When you go to a food court, there's not just one place to eat there. It, there will be 10 because that's where everybody goes, mm-hmm. you know, and they, it's, it's, it's the same thing. This is so great. There's this, uh, this author that I listen to. He's also a speaker. His name is Simon Sinek. One of the things he talks about is having a vision, right? And he says that one of the mistakes that most people make is that we all think we have to come up with our own vision. Like it has to be unique. It has to be us, right? He says that there's nothing wrong with tying yourself to someone else's vision, yeah. right? Sometimes somebody else has a vision, whether you tie yourselves to them or just their vision, right? Even if you don't partner with them, right? You, it could be anybody. It could be a speaker, somebody that you see that you look up to that has a vision that you say, hey, that vision resonates with me too. Yeah. And that it's okay to, like you said, jump on the coattail of that vision, right? Or like you said, if these almonds are not working, these almonds are working, right? Like jump on this, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that it's it's okay. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in wanting to do our own thing or the unique thing or be different. Right. And sometimes I think if you can find your commitment in something that's already being done, that's working. Yeah. You already got traction. Well, if you know, if you really wanted to, if you don't have the capital and stuff to kind of launch your own thing, when you, when you, if you do kind of copy somebody or kind of, you know, even though it might not be exactly the same, but you know that, that the stuff is selling, then once you've had some success, now you have the infrastructure to pivot and try mm. something new, right? But I always ask, what's the budget? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. What's the budget? It because it matters. First of all, I don't want to create. A, I don't want to put you in a bad place and and have you start a project where you don't have enough money to do it. Or if you don't have enough money, maybe we can manage the expectation, mm. right? Like. A lot of people will come in, they're like, I have $100,000 for this project. And I have to manage their expectations. I have to first ask them, what does this money mean to you? Is this something that you know, you are have to start a business or is this your, your savings that you're trying, your, fa- your family savings that you're trying to make money with? We need to understand this, right? Because I, don't, I, na- I hate to put somebody into a bad financial Yeah. Understanding that every business has risks, exactly, especially everything that starts. It's true. That's true. If you and you, but you got to mitigate that risk. That's why there's consultants, people like me, Mm -hmm. right? Like you said, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the the one that created. You can use other people's knowledge and inspiration. Yeah, and as a consultant, one do you invest too, or is it just consulting? I'm very careful with that because. I don't like to have a conflict of interest. So when I invest in something, I, I have to make sure that it doesn't prevent me from working with somebody else. Got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I do sign some non-disclosure agreements and I do, you know, a lot of companies don't like to share their ideas. So mm-hmm. I have to be really careful because I work right at this moment in time. I'm working with three different companies and all of them. It's I'm going to tell you something super funny. All three are competing for the same business <laughs> through me. Got it. But I can't disclose anything to anybody. So I can tell like when they're telling me that the owner's like, my overhead is only you know, 7%. I want to be like, well, the other overhead over there is only 5 
Mm. You know, I don't yeah, say yeah, those but things. You can't. I have to yeah, disclose yeah, of course. these things. So, so this is where I have to be careful, mm. you know. Um, and when I say I tie myself in, I usually mean it, mean it in a financial way, yeah. not a, uh, a contractual way. As a consultant, I, I, I get that you give your knowledge, right? Like, like you're exchanging your knowledge, your know-how um, for that's your service. Your service is the knowledge. For somebody who has a lot of knowledge, but maybe like a like an introvert, right? Like a lot of knowledge, but doesn't know very much people. Would you say that that would get in the way of consulting? If you have a skill, right, a really good skill, and you know it well, nothing gets in the way of that. I mean, you could have, you could be a not a good per- talker, mm-hmm. or, but your work is what matters. As a consultant, I hire consultants. As a consultant, would you would you say that having contacts, knowing people, like where to get things and having relationships with others matters to your business? Yeah. So for me, what I do, yes, because I'm in a lot of sectors in that business. Now, um, I work with quality consultants, safety consultants. That's all they do. Just the safety of the company. Right. I know the safety really well but I'm not an expert, so mm. I hire experts for that. And um, you have to uh, understand that part because consulting where I'm at is I'm in a lucky place because I can consult in supply chain. I can uh, consult in manufacturing, time motion, distribution, uh Product analysis. I mean, it's just the realm is all there for me. So when I get hired, I'll I'll come in, and they'll they'll ask me to look at their roasting schedule, and they're like, "Does anything seem wrong?" And right off the bat, I can tell you what's wrong with the schedule, or if the nuts are not being roasted in the right order. I'm also a validation expert. So in the food industry, we have it's in the United States, it's a very safe, very safe. We have third parted third-party auditing companies that will come into your facility literally with white gloves checking everything. And not only just checking that the paperwork says it, they actually go to you and say, hey, did you write this on this paper? You wrote 360 degrees. Can you show me where you got that from? And then, so, so the food industry or the food manufacturing here in the United States, medium to large businesses are very well uh, monitored and regulated. I know this as well. And so I can go into a company and tell you, your temperatures aren't right. Your refrigerator needs to be at 50 degrees. The floors have to be swept like this. You have to have this type of certification. You have to have this type of person come in here and audit your facility. So my consultation spreads in your entire operation from uh, shipping and receiving all the way up to the sales of the product. So my, I'm very unique there. Um, but consulting can be just one thing. You can just be a consultant in roasting. That's it. All you're going to do is consult and just the way nuts are roasted. So, um, but for me, fortunately, I have a, a wide, a wide range. Yeah. It's, I can do it all. And, and it's what keeps me employed. Hmm. There's one thing you said right now. That's super interesting to me about how in the United States, like the, the food industry, like the government or the, the entities, they have it really locked in. Yeah. I've heard in the past that there are certain countries that have banned certain foods and certain ingredients from their 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 packaged foods that the United States still seems to be feeding their citizens. Mm. Um, being that United States is so 
uptight with that food industry. What what do you mm. say about what do you have to say about that good, part? Good question. So let me let me step back. Food safety. Okay. Food safety is what the US is good at. And this means that they don't want glass, metal, pathogens, salmonella, E. coli. They don't want any of that in the food at all. Because we've had in the past, like Jack in the Box had a problem back in the nineties. I don't know if you're I'll tell you about it another story, but it's a really <laughs> interesting story. Yeah. It drove it drove the industry in one direction actually after that. But so food is safe. Now your question about what other countries do and what other countries don't do. So in the United States, we allow genetically modified organisms into our food. The difference between genetically modified organism and um, crossbreeding is where the natural process is of crossbreeding can create a certain thing. But genetically modified means that humans interject with DNA into that plant to change its... DNA structure, right? So no seeds, sweeter, less sweet, no rind, no, uh, doesn't regenerate a lot of things like that. And so, and it's, there are still some inconclusive studies, but, but feeding your body unnatural things, your body doesn't know what to do with it. So other countries have banned genetically modified organisms completely. And the United States still does it, you know, I'll admit we are a, a country of 350 million, so we have a lot of mouths to feed, mm. a lot. To com- for comparison, Canada has 60 million total. Wow. We're 350 million. Just California has more people than Canada. Do you believe that if it wasn't for genetically modified organisms that we'd still be able to feed all 350 well, we, million? We, we, 100% could, just not at the same cost. Just not at the same cost, um, and you know we're capitalists here in the U.S. We we try to make money any way we can, the best way we can, right? And so, with food, it's you know we introduce cheaper fillers and things and change things around so we can ship them further and keep them longer. And these things, you know, they're good for money but bad for your health. <laughs> so so See, this is where we, you know, where this the US is something is. that just came up for me right now. Do you believe fast food is real at all, or, or is it mostly is synthetic? Food? Like so I'm talking about McDonald's, fillers. Jack yeah. in the Box, car, like those, all of those. those like, yeah, if you look at the meat content, so for example, if you just get ground beef from the store, four ounces of ground beef from the store has thirty grams of protein. Four ounces of ground beef from McDonald's has twelve. So I don't know what else is in there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, I haven't eaten McDonald's in a long time. Um, n- not that I dislike it. I love the way McDonald's tastes. It was, I've always have as a kid. Uh, but, you know, when I started getting healthy and stuff, fast food became one of those things that, you know, we will enjoy it every once in a while, but we know what we're eating. <laughs> we know what we're putting yeah. in our system. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, that's another thing that's interesting to me. Why do you, uh, do you believe it's just cost? That has us ingest that kind of food. Yes. What do you say to people that 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 say? Because I've heard it say eating healthy is too expensive. Do you believe that? No, no. Actually, so I I've been cooking uh, meal preps every Sunday since 2015, and the average cost of a meal, a healthy meal, is about 3.25. And this is four to six ounces of protein, four to six ounces of carb, and four to six ounces of vegetable. Now you got to cook it yourself. So you mm-hmm. have to put in your what your time is worth, right? So, you know, 
I can't say, oh, my time's worth $100 an hour and then work for four hours and say, add $400 of cost to yeah. my production. That's just not <laughs> fair, right? So I don't do that. But, but the true cost, the cost of goods is about $325 to $5, depending on how much food you put in your thing. So yes, much, it's not expensive to eat healthy. Now, there is this thing where the restaurants and commercial food, they they do charge more for healthy food because they can't put so if you're if you're buying you know you go to chili's right and you get a chicken breast there it's healthy with the broccoli and the rice they have like the fit meal or whatever they do and it'll be 650 calories and it'll be 19 dollars okay but it was healthy for you it's 19 dollars so you can go to mcdonald's order a cheeseburger or a chicken sandwich with fries and a drink and it's 13 bucks big difference yeah. in the cost so that's how people come to the conclusion that eating healthy is cost more than than not than not eating healthy it's just because people's relationship with food is different they don't you know the the skill of cooking has been lost a little bit in the last 20 years you know, I've been trying to teach my kids to cook because the way food's going, you're going to have to cook to be able to eat the things you want, you know. If or the not things the, your body needs. Your body least, needs, I would yeah. Say. And so, um, but it's not. It's actually, I, I tell you this from experience, we save money eating healthy. Eating healthy. And now you have to cook at home. Yeah, yeah. You have to cook at if home. If you cook. Not every but Man, meal. nowadays with YouTube though, like... I mean, I don't do it. I'm guilty of it. Like, right? Like, I'm. I don't. I don't really cook, right? And I'm sure maybe one day I will. But right at the moment, I, I don't, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've seen how easy it is to learn things on YouTube, right? I just choose to learn other things on YouTube. And cooking is one of those things where there's just recipes for days for everything for every time, every budget. Like, if you just spend 10, 20 minutes on YouTube, you. So YouTube, I'm glad you brought that up. It has changed my life. Mm. Honestly, like at work, there'll be some printer that someone brought in this big machine has a million <laughs> buttons, in, but there's one problem with it. It's and we can't tell what it is. YouTube. Yeah. Go Instantly. on YouTube, YouTube University. Type in the model number, serial number of the equipment, boom, some tutorial on how to remove the jam. I'm like, mm -hmm. yes. And I mean water fountains at, at the gym, there was they replaced the filters, but they couldn't they couldn't figure out how to change the red light. There's a little tiny reset button at the top and you had to take two screws off. We found that on YouTube. So <laughs> I really appreciate YouTube. Uh, a lot of my fitness uh, questions, medical questions, not that I go down that medical tunnel, but I'm just saying like a lot of things I'm trying to learn about, YouTube has provided yep. it. So agreed. Yep, yep, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube's definitely awesome. A couple more questions about food. Are there some ingredients that, that you would, uh, and I ask this because, I mean, I know a little bit here and there, but I, I don't read all the ingredients. Are there some ingredients that we may not understand that are found in most foods that you would say stay away from these at all costs? So in the back, so when you're buying a packaged good, something, food that comes inside of a box or in a bag that's been pre-packaged, pre-cooked, something like that. The most important thing for you to do is to turn it over and read the nutritional and ingredient statement. In the, on the bottom, it's a, the, the FDA regulates this, so you have to have this ingredient statement posted on the back of every nutritional panel that you sell retail. And so on the back, it'll say 
uh, calories, proteins, vitamins, all the little things that you, you get, the carbohydrates, everything that's supposed to be listed. Then underneath there, it'll say ingredients. If the first ingredient isn't food, you know you're not <laughs> getting food, right? But if you're, first in, if you're buying a chicken breast that has seasonings in it and stuff, and you, you, get, you read the back and the first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup, that means it has, in the, in the government, it, it, it's, you're obligated to list the ingredients in order of most of. So you're buying chicken, but the most in there is high fructose corn syrup. Second ingredient is chicken, mm. and then they'll, the sauce will have starch <laughs> and water and uh, um, maltodextrin and all these weird ingredients. That So I always say this. I'm like, look. On the perimeter of the grocery store, right, the perimeter where you have your vegetables, your meats, and your your produce, or your vegetables, meats, dairy, all on the outside, right? The inside lanes have all of the packaged goods. I don't shop there. I don't shop there. The inside lanes. Inside lanes. I make all my own food because I know what I'm putting into it. But if you start to read the packages, you just get a package of crackers or something, you know, the bleached wheats and all these different ingredients that um, have to be processed to be put into the mm -hmm. food. This is where I find, you know, the difference between um, processed foods and home cooked foods. So if you're going to eat processed foods, you have to be really careful that you read the back of that ingredient statement and that the ingredients list chicken, salt, pepper, potato, carrot, and spices, right? That's a good ingredient statement. But if it says high fructose corn syrup, maltodextrin, uh, sulfur, um, preservatives, like every, like there's so much that people put into food that is just really bad for you. If you think about it, a preservative, right? What is a preservative? A preservative keeps food from oxidizing, preventing it from being going bad, right? Well, when you eat preservatives, it, your stomach reads those preservatives and doesn't, it, it prevents your stomach from digesting that food correctly. So just, if it's not breaking down on the shelf, it's, it's not going to break down correctly in your system. It's just naturally, it's, a, it's what happens. So I'm careful with that. And, um, but, you know, if it doesn't, if it's not food, it's not good for you. Mm. That's how uh, simple. Yeah, that's how you see it. You can, there's, there's, the ingredients are in everything. You know, you have to put on glasses sometimes to see because they like to put them in very small print. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen that. And one one thing that was really interesting that I never heard say said the way you said it right now that I would like for you to repeat it and maybe even dive in a little bit more is you said I don't I only shop on the outside. I don't go into the lanes. Yeah. The way the reason I say that is because when you walk into a grocery store. Produce, meat, and dairy are on the sides, on the yes. outside, the perimeter. Yes, of I've noticed store. that. And then when you start walking to the middle, usually you'll have your spices aisle, ethnic foods, um, pastas, chips, crackers, frozen foods, all of these things that, you know, to preserve them, you have to do stuff to them. They're not fresh. So, so and, you know, I, I look at the em things that have empty calories too, like potato chips. Potato chips are one of these things that... Um, we all love, but really just super processed mm. food, right? Um, ground up, fillers, seasonings added to the pulp. 
then that pulp is extruded through a machine and into an oil fryer fried in palm oil. It's just everything is bad about it. All the structure of the food has been removed. So when you eat it, they have to reintroduce the the things that they took out um, into processed foods. And this is why I avoid them. And not all of them, not everything that comes in a package is bad. Like, you know, Trader Joe's has good stuff. Trader Joe's is a good example of a a, a good um, retailer. Before you do business with um, Trader Joe's, no matter what you sell in them, they send you a list of no-no ingredients. Like, you cannot have this. And GMOs is one of them. So someone like Trader Joe's doesn't allow genetically modified organisms. Are there any other markets or any other brands like that? Whole Foods? Um, So Amazon, really. Like Mm. Amazon? I'm just saying because that's Whole Foods. Whole Foods is owned Mm. by Amazon. So Amazon is an open platform for sales. There's, you have to, like, your facility has to be SQF qualified, like, it has to have all the safety stuff, but you don't have to abide by the no-no list that Trader Joe's provides. And it's, this is, like, a list of ingredients you cannot put in the food, like, mm-hmm. no starches, no GMOs, no high fructose corn syrup. It all has to be natural, organic products. And so at Is Trader that the same jo- with Whole Foods? Whole Foods as well. Okay. What about and Sprouts? As well. You know, these ah, are all okay. companies that don't allow genetically so they're setting a standard and they're kind of preparing themselves for the future um these are all great stores sprouts is my favorite i'll just go out and say sprouts is my favorite they if you are on a budget they have you know you don't have to buy enough to make for four you could they actually have it portioned out ready for one person you just have to cook it yourself and so they'll they'll have the veggies, the breast seasoned, and everything in a little package. In a package. In a package, and they'll and then you, you frozen food section. Or um, or? It's in the fresh, fresh section. So they do them every day, and then you just have to put it in the oven and cook it yourself. Yeah. But they provide really good, healthy, delicious options. Would you say that the ingredients in those are whole it's food? It's food whole ingredients. food ingredients. Yeah. I got to check that out. And so, you know, some of the sauces, I'll put some like barbecue sauce or Korean sauce. And if you read the ingredients in the Korean sauce, it'll have sugar, right? But it's sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. It's a big difference. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, but, but there, there are actually actual ingredients you will recognize, you know, if you don't, if you don't know what the label says, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Speaking of label, one thing that tripped me out, and this is, this is at Sprouts. Right, they have uh, the waffle section, right, in the little freezer thing. They have the waffles. Uh, I seen that there's 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 these waffles that they have that look. They say organic this. They look like they're supposed to be a good product, but then when you turn around the package, and it was all of them except for one. There was same brand, right? Different like flavors. flavors you can say only one of the flavors didn't have what I'm about to say, which is a label on the back that says there's products in there's ingredients in here or something that may uh cause cancer why would why would why would cook one of them not have it well so prop 30 california prop 35 i think it's called and you are supposed to list carcinogens um one of them is like when you cook something it has acrylamide when you cook something, it creates acrylamide. That's been considered a carcinogen. So now anytime you walk into a restaurant, anywhere, there'll be a Prop 65. Prop 65. This restaurant cooks food at high temperatures, creating carcinogens that are known to possibly cause cancer. That's the statement. That That's you got it. Yeah. And so it's, it's a required thing here in, in California. So would you say 
if if you saw that label on anything you bought, would you still buy it? Yeah, yeah. So okay. I, I I know the difference between um, the sensitivities of the industry, right? With acrylamide, which is like char. That's what really that is. Mm. Um, it's not as unsafe as it. You know, you have to eat it. The, the studies show that you have to eat it in such high quantities that you could never ever eat it in your lifetime. But since it's known to have caused it in a, some They've sort of lab experiment, then they have to put it out there. Got and it. a lot of this stuff, you know, maybe not that one, but a lot of it comes through some sort of marketing. There's usually some leading into something like, you know, the U.S. food uh, business has been that way, right? Like meat is a good one. You know, um, we're not supposed to eat that much meat, you know, as like humans, we're not supposed to eat that much beef. But in the U.S., we push the beef. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. we push, push, push. Americans consume more red meat than any other nation per person. And we don't really need that much red meat. But um, Do you stay away from a lot of red meats? I eat red meat like once a week. Okay. Once a week. And I, I mix it up with uh, chicken, turkey, and fish. Those are my, mm. and then, but I, I love red meat and it has the highest density of protein. So it's the highest protein food, right? These the have been highest. some of my favorite conversations to have with you, by the way, because you and I have had the these in the past, ones, like yeah. the food ones where you're telling me about the proteins and this and how this works. And there's things I want to get curious about that have to do with that. But first I want to ask my, I guess you could say one of the last questions I have to do with food. And this one actually came from my eight year old daughter. And uh, I told her that I was, you know, going to do a podcast with somebody who had knowledge on food and ingredients and things like that. And she uh, she requested I ask you, is breakfast the most important meal of the day? And if yes, why? Breakfast. And so, I guess if you know, no, so why? Break fast. <laughs> break fast. Yes. Break fast. Right. So the first meal after not eating for a long time. It is important. It is important. It's not important when you eat it, but it's important that it is what your body needs for your planned exertion. Which is? So let's just say that day you know you're going to hit a hard ah, cardio workout, exertion. right? You're going to um, do a long workout or you have a long run that day, 15 miles, I don't know, something. So that first meal is going to be important for you, right? But if you're going to be sitting around all day really not doing anything, it's also going to be really important for you because... Um, your food should be a source of fuel for your day's events, right? And so that, the short answer is yes and yes. It's a very important meal, but it's important to what you eat. Mm. So, so is it, would you say it's the most important? Mm. You know, it's, I don't know. My relationship with food isn't that way. I, I, my first meal could be before I go work out or three hours after I work out. Okay. Um, and it's, I don't put a lot of importance into it. Now, um, it's always a good balanced meal. So I'm not gonna, I'm not just gonna take, uh, you know, waffles with peanut butter and jelly and eat that before I, you know, it's like probably not gonna give me, I, I if I eat that and then go work out, then I'm gonna have to come home and I'm gonna have to eat a full 
meal, right? And so um, breakfast is important, um, especially depending on your body type and um, your energy levels and things like that and your age. Uh, all of it matters to what you eat, but breakfast is a very important meal. Well, I'm going to have her watch this for sure, especially this segment of, of, the, of the episode. So for her, could you tell me for her what what does a good breakfast look like an eight-year-old um, or a, a kid an like eight-year-old um you know needing some energy for the day and stuff like that i would say it would be like a, a balanced breakfast uh, two eggs two eggs that's 140 calories and i and you're gonna get like 18 grams of protein okay um either turkey breast or um um, turkey sausage or uh, um, no nitrates. So avoid nitrates in your meats. So if, like for breakfast meats. And then some fruit. Um, I So for kids, fruit is very important because they're, they're going to use that energy right away. So for a kid, they need to have a, 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 a blast in the beginning of energy right through, fruit, through uh, fruits and juice. Then they need sustained energy so they're going to need some some sort of carb a whole carb and then the protein to to satisfy them and keep and keep their hunger at bay so those things are important so some things like eggs, eggs. Uh, turkey um, fruit uh, what would you use as carb um, so if she, steel cut oats even though there's not a lot of protein in them the, I, I recommend that because they they take a long time to to digest so they give you energy for a long time and to make it a little bit more desirable for her you could add a tiny bit of protein powder like a vanilla protein powder uh, maybe some uh, a little bit of chocolate syrup like real chocolate syrup not high fruit not the Hershey's yeah. yep and then mix that up and then that is actually a very pleasurable enjoyment for mm. her and then she'll she'll have the carbs the protein and the the sugars at the beginning of the day um that will hold her older it won't give her any of those cravings she won't want to eat chips she's not going to want to do any of that once hunger comes in then you have to have the snacks ready so uh, good snacks for kids again more fruit nuts trail mix seeds those are also good things um if you can dehydrate your own fruit you can do that or you can buy from whole foods dehydrated fruit's really good cheese Cheese is a good snack for kids if she, if they can handle it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, meat snacks. I was I take like turkey breast, uh, one whole turkey breast, and we chop it into little pieces and put it in a big bowl. The boys will like on in a rush they'll eat that, mm -hmm. and so they're getting some protein. So when you're cravings, you should try to eat protein when you're having cravings um, because they are they are calorie and protein rich. They have it's rich for it's good food for you. Where if you just grab like a handful of chips, it's going to be two hundred calories with no protein, mm. uh, empty calories. I call those. So breakfast very important. What you eat is actually more important. Mm. So what you eat is important, but is more important than, than when you eat it. When you eat it. Got it. Got it. So the most important meal of the day is the one that's the most balanced. Is the what one I that's going <laughs> to fuel you for the yep, day. Yep. Yeah, and it is important because. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Have you been to a workout where you really haven't fueled well, then you feel jittery and kind of shaky during Look, yep. the workout? That's that's your blood sugar dropping. That's your body telling you you need to eat something right now. So if that happens to you, I used to carry around a jar, a small jar of peanut butter in my in my um, bag. I don't, I'm out now, but I would carry a spoon. And if I felt that, I would just eat 
One tablespoon of peanut butter. Oh, that would be a lifesaver. Steven taught me that one. How long would it take after you ate it? Just minutes. Wow, Just okay. minutes. I mean, it kicks in, and you're like, oh... Like you feel it coating after the workout, you said, right? No, no, during. Oh, during. During okay, the workout, wow, okay, got I started it. to feel shaky, and I felt hesitant on the heavy weights. Like I didn't, wasn't sure if my strength was performing correctly. And Steven's like, "Did you eat anything this morning?" I said, "No." He's like, "You're, you're having." I could tell. He's like, "You're having like a blood sugar thing, so you should eat something." So I would eat. I had he had peanut butter. He was the first one that gave it to me, and I, then from that point on, I started doing. It. So that is a little, a little hack for if you start to feel the jitters and you haven't eaten. Wow. During your workout, During you your just workout. do one of those and yep. like within a few minutes, yep. at least for you, you were pretty good. Yep. With that, I wanted to talk to you about the body. And one of the questions I have is, do you believe you can outwork a bad diet? No, you'll just be chasing your dream your whole life and never get there. What do you think a bad diet mainly consists of? Not enough protein. Other than meat, what else can you get the most necessary protein from? Nuts and seeds. So, nuts and seeds. Yeah. What kind of nuts? What kind of um, seeds? The highest density of protein is in pepitas. It's the whole pumpkin seed. So I think 100 calories equals 7 grams of protein. And so, for example, like 100 calories of meat, you get 13 or 14 grams of protein. Okay. Sometimes even more. With meat. With meat. Like tuna, for example, like is really close to beef. You can get a little packet of tuna that has 90 calories and it'll have like 16 grams of protein because it's, it's just meat. Mm. Nothing else in there. No bread, no mayo, no none of that. So as you add those things, you add calories and bring down the total amount of protein for calorie balance. So what I mean by that is... I try to keep it for every 150 calories I consume, I try to eat at least 12 to 15 grams of protein. And that naturally, automatically forces you to stay very clean within a very tight, clean menu. Mm -hmm. You can't, because if it, what happens is, if I'm, for me personally, um, right now I'm consuming. 2,750 calories a day with 180 grams of protein. And if you tried to match that 180 grams of protein with that low of a calorie intake, your selection of things you can eat is very minimal. Mm. It's like clean turkey, clean this, no extra carbs, no sugar, no alcohol. You know, it's like you have to control that. And so, um, and... I always, you know, my, my thing is I always, whether I'm on a bulk or on a cut, I always maintain my protein levels. One gram of protein for one pound of weight. So if I'm 180 pounds, I have to eat 180 grams of protein. A day. A day. And if I'm bulking, I, c I could do that with 4,500 calories. But if I'm a cut, I can only do it with 2,700 calories because then I have to maintain the fat off. I'm trying to lose fat and maintain your muscle. And the only way to do that is keep your protein levels up and your calories down. If you want to bulk, you keep your protein levels up and your calories up. Mm. Wow. Don't like I, I, I try not to overcomplicate it because if you just count your calories and your protein and you keep it to what I said, 12 to 15 
grams of protein to 150 calories, you have no choice, no choice but to eat clean mm. and healthy. There's no other choice. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And that's awesome that you've been like, you're into fitness. I can see that, right? We work out together. Um, and and you, this is a conversation you and I have quite often. And so that you're passionate about this enough to understand the science and to research the science is, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's really Thanks, why I wanted to have you on here, right? Because this, this is going to allow for me, this, for this conversation to be visited whenever I want now. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of our conversations, there's been a lot of times where I'm like, damn, what was that one thing that Hernan said? Because that was awesome. Right. And like, now it's like, okay, I'm going to record this. That way I can go back to some of these things. Cool. Cause th th no, I'm excited to see how your show comes out, you know, like, um, I, 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 I'm happy to try to be a regular guest, um, all kinds of topics. Even like when something's hot on the news about business, maybe a new trend coming out, I'll come in and talk about it. Oh, that would be awesome. A lot of people, you know, like the, there was the Atkins, there's mm -hmm. the keto, there's all these things. I don't believe in any of that stuff, number one. Ah, okay, this I'll is definitely going to be another one. come up there and say I don't believe in any of the fad diets. All right, next episode is going to be on fad diets. Yep. Anybody who's on one, I, I, I help them steer away because, uh, and I'll show, I'll go back in time and I'll show them things that, that this fad diet was called something else before, mm -hmm. you know, and it didn't work. So now the marketing's come back at different, in a different way. Wow. You know? um, but, you know, um, Americans all want to be in good shape. Yeah. They do. That's like a, a thing that's been happening for the last eight years, fitness has been on the front of a lot of things, uh, whether it's an advertisement or on the news. Uh, but people want to get fit and healthy because it's the opposite of the obesity problem that we mm -hmm. had, right? So it's the opposite. So we have, we're seeing a good trend. So anytime, so everyone's listening to health and fitness topics. Yes. Everybody's listening. Yes. And they're good to talk about. They're stimulating. <laughs> What's funny stimulating. right now when you mention that like, fitness is a big thing right now and that a lot of companies are using it for marketing. It's like, you got beers, right? Michelob Ultra with yes. dudes, people running, hiking, <laughs> and climbing to the top of fucking Mount Everest. With and it's an like, ultra. Bam, Michelob yeah. Ultra, right? It's like, yep, yep. I could definitely see that. All of them have, so Michelob, Bud, yep. um, Zero even Modelo came mm -hmm. out with one. Yep. So they all have these like 90 calorie or less, you know, 80 to 90 calorie beers with full flavor because they used to be 200 calories. So, I mean, that's all geared to the fitness. Yeah. Which is or still to people who are yeah. trying not to get big beer bellies, you know. And so, uh, so yeah, the trend is there. And then um, the fashion sector in the sports fashion sector has blown up. So everyone now uses fitness clothes as their everyday mm -hmm. uh, styles, yep. trends. I mean, some some you could buy literally a workout outfit that costs ten thousand dollars, you know, from like Valenciaga, <laughs> right? It's like a pair of sweatpants, <laughs> really nice pair of shoes, yep. crop top. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, but, but not sure if you work out in that. No, right? they but, probably don't. But you see what I'm saying, though. That yeah. fitness has even gotten to fashion, to mm -hmm. where it's a, a lifestyle, not mm -hmm. just not just for working out. It's a lifestyle thing. Everyone's just wearing. Even if they don't work out, they wear fitness clothes. At your age, why is health and fitness so important, and has you in the shape that it has you? And for a 40-year-old, for example, wanting to begin their fitness and health journey, yeah. what do you say to them? So this, there's a saying, when the student is ready, 
the teacher appears, right? You have to, for some reason, you want to have to get fit, right, to want to do it. And for my personal experience, it happened when I turned 40. <laughs> exactly when I turned 40. Um, I, you know, from when I was discharged from the Marine Corps all the way until about 40, I really was running around high energy all the time, not really concerned too much about fitness, more concerned about my career. By the time I turned 40, I mean, right now, I'm, I'm bulking and I'm, I'm, uh, I have a lot of muscle, so I'm 185, but I had gotten all the way down to 160. I started my fitness journey at almost 230 unhealthy pounds. 230 unhealthy pounds. That drove me to want to get healthy. And I had been healthy before. I had been in the Marines, and so I had, had good health. And I was fortunate enough to come in uh, to TNT back then in 2015. And th those guys helped me uh, through my fitness journey. But it took me wanting to get... I'd always thought about it. I'd always look at a 40-year-old guy who was really in good shape, and I'd always tell myself, man, I wish I could look like that. I mm. want to look like that one day. And I had that picture in my mind all the time. I was, we were at a YouTube, YouTube concert, YouTube, uh, YouTube, YouTube. YouTube concert um, back in 2013, 14, and this guy and his, his, his girlfriend and their kids walked up, and I couldn't believe he had, you know, um, eight-year-old, nine-year-old kids, beautiful wife. He was really strong, and he looked so good, and I was like, man, I want to look like that. And it's it was my own vanity desire, but it was also that desire was for, for my wife, too. She also wanted to mm. get into shape and stuff like that. So we... That was what drove me, and I really wasn't ready. I, I wouldn't. I would tell people no. I, uh, they'd ask me to go work out, and I would just tell them no, no, no. I, I don't. I'm not. I don't need it. You know. I thought I was a marine. I don't need it. But then, my body um, started stop performing the way it did. So I started to work out, and that changed my life. I mean, um, my goal is to live as long as I can, and my philosophy behind it is that. Your body has to want to live. Not just the idea. You have to trick yourself. You have to trick your body to staying young and strong. And a lot of it has to do that, at least in my personal experience, has to do with libido and sex drive. Mm. Um, I know it's maybe not the same for everybody, and it could change at different stages in your life, but our natural existence on this planet is to pre procreate to, mm -hmm. to make babies and if you were to separate religion and the regular observation of society we would have we would be making babies with all of the girls right because that's what we naturally intended to do and the only way you could do that is if your body stays strong and healthy and the only way your body will stay strong and healthy is to trick it to thinking you need to do these things whether it's procreate run hunt um, those things, what we did in our paleo, paleo existence, we have to trick our brains to doing now. We're not that far separated from that existence in our, 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 our genetic, the way we've developed. So if your mind thinks that you're going to still have to hunt, which we, we trick it by doing physical exercise and straining ourselves, right? Um, it still has to mate. That's because we, we hold passion with our 
in, in our minds, right? Whether you're single or married, you hold that passion, that drive, that thing. Like people may misinterpret it, but wanting to have sex is a good thing. Mm. Yeah. It's a it's something that will instinctfully instinct instinctively instinctfully make your body want to stay younger because it has to produce semen. It has to have testosterone. It has to stay fit. You have to be able to chase that female mm -hmm. down and fight off potential, potential competition, dangers. right? And if you just step out of like our human existence out into the into the animal world, you'll see how it is. Mm -hmm. That's how it is. And that's how we were meant to be. This is my philosophy and this is what I'm going to stick to to trick myself to stay as young for as long as I possibly can. I feel younger right now at 49 than I ever did in my life. And ever. <laughs> I that's a bold statement. Oh, that's a very bold. No, like, I, I can outrun myself, my 20-year-old self right now. I can, out I can outlift. I can outperform as all of it. Mm -hmm. so, so, and my intention is just to continue getting better. That's awesome. Hernan, brother, I appreciate you being on here with us. So much gold that you gave us, at least gave me, in learning a little bit more about the food industry and packaging and ingredients and yes. everything that goes into it. And this is definitely not going to be the last conversation. I'm sure I'm going to be hearing about some trend or some something where I'm going to be like, dude, we well, got to have a conversation about this. Well, let's have a podcast on your coffee line. Okay. That way we can, you know, discuss it. And then when, when you put it out there, you're going to get some feedback. Yeah. True. You know, like, oh, Joe, what kind of coffee? Where, oh, I know that, they, they, you know, like, there's uh -huh. going to be some good feedback. I think that we, we should do that. That way, you know, from your podcast, we're going to be able to get some feedback that could benefit us oh, of in course. many ways, even when we're out seeking information. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, everything's about information, yeah. right? I was having this conversation with my daughter yesterday because she's, uh, we were business planning a little salsa business that she's going to start with my, with my mom. Um, we were doing that yesterday. And what I was telling her is that, the market is is what tells you what's good and what's not, right? And so it's all about feedback, right? You could think it's the best thing in the world. Like you said, if you get married to it, but if nobody's buying it, then it's not going to be successful. That's right. And just so, you know, anybody listening knows what Hernan is referring to is uh, I intend to start a coffee brand. Uh, it's something I'm already working on with the name. Him and I already had a couple conversations about how to get it started, where to go, manufacturing, packaging, all that stuff. And so that's something that will be coming soon. Uh, I'm going to say this year. Uh, and hopefully by December, we'll see this already come to fruition. And we'll definitely have uh, well, you got the a, right an episode. Here, yeah, I yeah. appreciate that, brother. I definitely do. And Hernan, as always, brother, thank you. Thanks, Joe. It's been awesome. Right All right, guys. Um, one thing you, I, I did want to mention, you do have a meal prep business mm. that you do? Yes. So um, I do a personal mm. meal prep service for the athletes at TNT and uh folks who live near me here in, in San Dimas. And what I do basically is um, I send out the menu via text on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Everyone shoots their orders back in by Saturday morning. I produce the food on Sundays, and then it's either picked up at my house or I drop it off at the gym. At the gym. Mm -hmm. okay. And if you're interested, you can reach out to my cell phone. It's area code 626 nine two six one four zero five just reach out and say hey hernan this is so and so and i'm interested in meal prep and i can talk you through it 
Perfect. Also, make sure you guys let him know that you heard him from the podcast, so he's not just like, oh, like who the hell is this? Right? Yeah, just definitely just let throw me know it on where there. You be like, hey, I heard, from. I heard you on the podcast. Here it is. Uh, I'm also gonna put his uh, Instagram and all of his information in the uh, description below, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on Apple Podcasts or whatever. I'll put it out there. Uh, the Instagram is at h d e s i m o n e zero zero seven. Uh, again, that will be in the description. Uh, reach out if you guys need meal prep, uh, if you guys need a consultant, if you're thinking of starting uh, a, a food business, uh, any kind of packaged good business, uh, you can reach out to him for consulting as well. Uh, I'm sure if you guys have any questions on your personal nutrition or any uh, ingredients that you might not be aware of, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to answer any of those questions for you guys as well. So just reach out, uh, just go ahead and reach out to Hernan. Uh, and as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Uh, this show is going to be forever evolving. Uh, I don't ever plan on just having this show stay the same. This is uh, my gold mine for practice when it comes to communication. And it's also my gold mine for self-expression. And so if an idea comes up and there's something that I want to do a little bit different, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, so keep tuning in, guys. I appreciate all of you guys. And as always, stay blessed. Smile every chance you get. And I love y'all. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.